G'day, 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 and welcome everyone. That's our resident scaredy cat, Kate. And that's the horror junkie, Dominic. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about some scary stuff. The sort of fear your asshole knows about. As always, subscribe, rate, and review us. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Shit and Bricks Podcast. All right, drop your dax, pop a squat, and let's get into it. Hi, Kate. How you doing? I'm good, thanks, Dominic. How are you today? Yeah, I'm feeling really good, actually, because I got a haircut. No one can see that, obviously, because it's a podcast. But if you're watching our video on our YouTube channel, you'll be able to see that I'm sheared. That's it. You look very sharp. Very, very nice. You can't underestimate what a haircut does for you when you're in lockdown. So That's so true. I was tempted to go through the dog grooming channel. So when my golden retriever Austin got his bath and the lady drove up in a little blue wheelers van, I was just going to hop in and be like, can you just, just a two for one? Like if you can just sort me out, that'd be swish. A cut and colour. A cut and colour. <laughs> if you could also trim the hairs around my feet, that'd be great. <laughs> oh, Lord. But I, I didn't take her up on that, so we'll have to just wait until actual hairdressers are, are back running. You'll get your little poof tail and your little socks on your on your paws another day. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, uh, Dom, I need to. Obviously, we're going to get through our our kind of uh, intro for our podcast. So I just want to remind our listeners that uh, we do like to enjoy a bit of a laugh. Um, I think we're pretty funny. And uh, my mum thinks I'm funny. So, you know, that's really important. Uh, But look, the stories that we do tell, sometimes they can involve some pretty serious or horrific or traumatic events. And we mean no disrespect at all to the victims, the survivors, loved ones, or anybody that may have gone through something like this. Uh, Humour is a really powerful way to process uh, how you feel. And that's what we're using as we're discussing some of these topics. So look, we understand if you don't, uh, you know, don't, don't vibe with that, that's fine. You're welcome to, to move along and find another podcast. But, uh, for those of you that want to stick around and have a bit of a laugh for some catharsis, uh, please stick around. Uh, and on that, what is our topic of this week, Dominic? Oh my God, I am so very excited for this episode. This is the first one of our formal podcast. You know, we've had two tests and now we're into the thick of it. Um, But this is the topic that actually got me started on the whole idea of shitting bricks. Um, So this week, I really wanted to touch on the theme of survival. You know, as in what would you do to survive when you're put in an impossible situation and like what lines would you cross how far would you go and obviously as the title suggests we're going to talk about cannibalism but um, mm. yeah that's the topic what would you do to survive Kate? Ooh, well I mean one of my favorite television programs is Survivor um, <laughs> you know so I assume that this you know I know a lot about what we're going to talk about obviously I would try and find an immunity idol mm-hmm. um, that would be my first thing so do they have those on Cannibal Island? No, not quite, but um, okay. how about we get through the story and you tell me if there is an immunity idol <laughs> that was missed, you know, when they walk past it and it's right there yeah. in plain sight? Oh my God. Okay. I'll make sure I'm check- I'm checking it out so we can see. Um, I'm really excited for this story though, Dom. We have been, you know, chatting about this and I purposefully didn't read anything about it because I, like the listeners, want to hear your story so I can... <laughs> Be frightened and have a laugh. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So let's get into it. Uh, just quickly, my sources, uh, Wikipedia, an awesome Geographics YouTube video. If you've never heard of Geographics before, I would highly recommend going and checking out. They've, they've done some really fun, cool videos that are kind of similar line to what we do on the podcast. And then there's also this really awesome Radio Free Europe um, article by Andre Filimonov and Robert Colson. Um, they had some really good interviews and um, some of the, the more like detailed stuff that you miss out on this story sometimes. So go check them out. And I've also got to do a bit of a disclaimer as well. There are plenty examples of this sort of, you know, cannibalism happening throughout history. Um, and just as a disclaimer, the story I'm about to tell, none of us can really know the sheer hopelessness of the situation. So I'll try to keep judgment to an absolute minimum. Uh, I hope no one ever goes through what they did. Uh, and I must point out that there are those around the world where famine is still a real, like it's a reality. And especially where unstable governments are either, you know, that are choosing not to support them um, or that they're meant to represent them and then just not. Uh, it's, it's a really sad situation still happening today. Doesn't mean I'm about to condone what is happening next to the story. But, uh, he, you know, the human sort of primal need to survive can be you know, it can bring about some really scary things. So yeah, we are on that look and it's, you know, it might be a little off taste, uh, so to speak, but I'm currently participating in uh, light and easy. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like I'm really on that level of hunger where I'm starting to understand cannibalism a little bit. That is not anything against light and easy, really delicious. So if you want to sponsor us, please do. But <laughs> the hunger is real. Um, so I, f I feel like I'm in a good headspace at the moment uh, to, to really delve into this. You're in your own Hunger Games. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go. So grab your blankies and lock the doors. Um, our first ever shit and brick story starts in the USSR under Joseph Stalin's tyrannical reign. And let's be clear, no question, he was an asshole, but he did have an amazing moustache and I have to give him that. <laughs> It's all about the facial hair. There That's is amazing. side story. There is uh, a theory going around about, uh, you know, dictators and their, then their facial hair, uh, go down a rabbit hole on Reddit and stuff and read about what, what each mustache that says about each, uh, each person throughout history. But anyway, I am getting distracted already and it's only the first <laughs> sentence. <laughs> so Cannibal Island is also known as Nazinski Island. It's situated in a remote part of Western Siberia along the Ob River. And the closest town is Tomsk and that's about 800 kilometers away. And we're talking about a super, super remote and freezing part of the world. It gets as cold as like negative 22 degrees Celsius in winter, which is when our story takes place. So we obviously do not have enough time, even with COVID, to get into the whole political landscape of the Soviet Union at that time, which is a horror story in itself, no doubt. But to do this story any justice, it is important that we set the scene a little bit to understand how something like Cannibal Island came to be. So 1933, rewind the tapes. We're back in 1933. There's a catastrophic famine and that has swept across the Soviet Union. At least 5 million people would perish from hunger. And the current Communist Party introduced all of these, what they called five-year plans to fuel their Soviet machine. So essentially they needed people, people to play their assigned role, to do what they deemed was their civic duty. 
And a fundamental part of these five-year plans was to relocate people, often against their will, to remote parts of the USSR to work the land as farmers. Essentially, though, they would have to deport these people because it was against their will. And as history has taught us, it's usually those who refuse to play by the rules. They're the best source of people power. So anyone who became too successful or wealthy, as well as criminals and peasants, the less than desirables, that's what they would deem them as, they were perfect for these uh, deportation plans. So, not great. <laughs> not ideal, no. Again, 1933, like we just, it just it seems to be a pattern. That was a bad time to be around, just in general. Yeah, so this is obviously, you know, this is early 30s. We haven't even gotten to the horrors of like late 30s and early 40s. But mm. you know, before any of that kicks off, this is, this is what's happening. So in February of that year, 1933, two men, uh, Genrik Yagoda and... Please correct me. Obviously, my uh, pronunciation is going to be <laughs> shocking. Dog's breakfast, as we say in Australia. Is it Natalia Smirnova? <laughs> no. <laughs> Boris Grishinko? Uh, Zenya le- on the top? Yeah, we are leaving so many James Bond <laughs> Easter eggs in this, in this series, so please get used to it. Those are really the only Russian names that I can pronounce. <laughs> so that's fine. Well, these two, Genrik Yagoda and Matviv Berman, they had proposed to plan, this is one of those five-year plans, right? They proposed to plan to resettle up to 2 million people to Siberia and Kazakhstan in these special settlements. And the deportees or settlers, I'll sort of flip back and forth between those two titles, um, just because there's a reason behind it, but anyway. These, these deportees, they were to bring over a million hectares of virgin land into these, in the sparsely populated regions into production and become self-sufficient within two years. So it's a big area. There's all this land just sitting there and they're like, come on, we need people to go and farm it and get it producing food and, and all that sort of stuff. And we need to get people out of our way as well. So... Two million people, that was the plan. Now at the time, those who lived in some of the major cities like Moscow and Leningrad, they were being asked to apply for what they called internal passports. Is this sounding a little familiar with COVID? (laughs) I've got an internal passport on my phone right now. Yes. (laughs) Well, it's a similar sort of thing. They They were forcing people to get these internal passports to prove who they were. And the idea was that the powers that be would use this as an excuse to sort of weed out the less than desirables. And that's how they forcefully recruited these settlers. So most of these settlers were deported within like two days. Roughly 6,000 of these settlers um, would end up on Nizinsky Island. And now there isn't an exact number that I could find as it kind of varies a little bit and documentation wasn't exactly, you know, the highest of priorities back then. (laughs) Smartphones. Hang on, wait. Before you cut my arm off to put it on a fire, can I just make a quick note in my journal so that we can document all of this? Right. (laughs) Not really thinking about it. We all bitch and moan (laughs) about having to carry around a digital passport for our vaccination. But like, you know, jokes aside, that's sort of the reality of the situation. They were trying to catch these people out on purpose for not having these passports. And I've managed to go back and find some of the um, interviews and reports of like what had happened to these people, their their own individual stories of when they they got nabbed. So there is some documentation and interviews that were discovered when all of this came out and we'll get to that later. But just to give you an idea of how these unsuspecting people were apprehended, a report by Vasily Vilichko, 
Now remember his name, Velichko. He describes some of these stories. Okay, so I've got three of them for you. One of them is from a Mr. Novozolov from Moscow. So after work, he was getting ready to go to the cinema with his wife. And while she was getting dressed, he just stepped out to have a smoke, like a cigarette, out wow. the front of his house and was just taken, gone. Wow. Wife had no idea, hadn't, didn't know where he was, just gone. Another lady, Guseva, she lives in Murum. Her husband is an old communist and chief officer of the Murum railway station. And he'd worked there for 23 years. And her son works there as an apprentice, engine driver. And Guseva, she came to Moscow to buy a suit for her husband and just some white bread. And her documents didn't help her. She even had it and they still just nabbed her. Gone. Wow. And lastly, another man who was interviewed afterwards, he said, in his own words, I didn't do anything. I was a student in Moscow. On the weekend, I went to visit my aunt who lives in Moscow. I got to her apartment and knocked on the door. But before she opened the door, they grabbed me right there. I was arrested because I didn't have my passport with me. Jeez. So they were just wandering around. Just anybody that they saw, they were like, we've decided that you're, you're gone. Yep. You're, you're going to be shipped off. They'd go to certain parts of the city that may be... A, <laughs> not the nicer parts of, a, of Moscow and Leningrad. And they're just, yeah, they're just nab people. And they had quotas, these, these two, Yagoda and Berman, they had quotas that they needed to fill. They had to get as many people as possible. So yeah, it's pretty shocking already. So yeah. anyway, how did they get there? How did they get to the Nizinsky Islands? So the idea was that after these unsuspecting settlers were nabbed and given a bogus hearing, sometimes not even a hearing, um, they were crammed onto these pack trains and shipped like cattle from the main cities out to these really remote areas. And Tomsk, remember, that's one of the, the, the closest town to Nizinsky Island. That was one of the rallying cities where settlers would be relocated and distributed across the wider region. So think of it as like Ballarat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same thing. <laughs> yeah. So just to clarify, this was not the most well-planned effort. <laughs> on their plan initially yeah. way too many deportees would arrive at cities like Tomsk sometimes with, without even a heads up so just here's a train shit ton of people <laughs> oh cool oh uh, uh, Sergey we need to get some people off the train again <laughs> <laughs> oh no another thousand <laughs> yeah and they're like where do, where do you put these people how do you feed yeah. them and the general lack of infrastructure in place meant it was just, you, we're already setting up for a complete disaster here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, so what was life like on these trains? The daily food ration during the trip was about 300 grams or 10 ounces of bread per person. That is it. Wow. And of course, it didn't take long for people to get into survival mode, right? That's the topic that we're talking about today. So on these trains, there's wealthy people, there's peasants, there's, you know, all, all sorts of different types of people, but there's also criminals. And the criminal groups among the settlers, they would start to beat the others and st steal their food and clothing. So they're, they're not even at the island yet, and they are turning on one another. They're already into Jeff Probst standing at the front of the train. This is Survivor. Yeah, not great, okay? Now, as I said, Nazinski Island, this island, it's about three kilometers long and about 600 meters wide. So just picture that. And, okay. and it's 800 kilometers north, northwest of Tomsk. To get them from Tomsk, they've already had like a shit V-line train out to Tomsk. Now they've got to get from Tomsk 
to Nizinski Island. To the island, yeah. Yeah, they used river barges, which were built to transport the settlers. And on those barges, they just had basic food and a few guards. No other supplies. How long did it take to get from Tomsk to the island on these barges? I don't know. What's the going speed rate for... Was that 800, 800 Ks, did you say? Yeah, on a barge. Jeez. So it okay, would have taken yeah. a while, but it's just them yeah. on a boat with some guards. They just had food, but there was no other supplies were given. Like wow. no other survival supplies. No tents, no nothing. Just... No toilet? What about a toilet? No, nada, nothing. <gasps> I need to know where the toilets are, Dominic. I would not have coped on this Kentucky tour. Uh, it's not for me. I'd give it one star, would not travel again. Well, as I as I was reading this, I'm like, this is kind of like the original Fire Island festival. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, same result. It turned out real shit. Yeah. I mean, was Ja Rule at uh, Tomsk no. at the time? Or no, okay. No. Was it Ja Rule? Have I got the correct rapper there? I'm not sure. I Honestly, okay. I don't know a lot of <laughs> Also, that sentence, <laughs> I'm really showing my age. Ja Rule, is that the correct rapper? All right, is that the... <laughs> yeah, As someone that has worked in events, it, it pains me too much to hear about the story about Fire Island Festival. So yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to do it. It would frustrate me too much. Yeah, absolutely. Naminsky Island, though, we're yeah. here for it. Mm-hmm. Get some DJs over there, baby. So they're on the barges, 800 kilometres. Um, they arrive and they unload their passengers during the afternoon of May 18th. So there was no roster, but on arrival, rough numbers, there were 322 women and about 4,500 men. They were counted and there was already 27 bodies of those who had died just during from the trip from Tom's. Wow. So you can, or, you know, I'm not trying to downplay this, but it's already a horror story in itself. These people are being apprehended, taken away from their families against their will, not really given much explanation of what's being done. This, the conditions that they're in are already horrific and they haven't yeah. even, you know, they've only just arrived on on the island. So yeah, 27 people had already died just from the trip and over a third of them were reported to be too weak to even stand on arrival. All right, so eventually a system was introduced where food was distributed to self-appointed leaders of groups of about 150. So mm-hmm. on arrival, you know, I didn't write this down, but on arrival, they tried to distribute food just willy-nilly to everybody and riots broke out people stormed thing you know it was a shit show and the and the um the guards like just shot into the crowds they tried to do it again the next day disaster again so eventually this system was put in place where they're like you need to nominate leaders for Mm. every 150 people and they're going to be the ones that uh will distribute the food for you so upon reflection i think when they sit down and do like a pmi of this Um, activity they really need to think about that structure before they ship people off to an island Mm -hmm. Um, just you know just some leadership advice you know (laughs) from from my perspective because you know as soon as you say here's a leader guess who are the people that are going to be the self-appointed leaders you know the Mm. chosen the chosen leaders um, it's the report suggests that they were often the most corrupt and the most selfish and they would keep food for themselves and they'd even use it to barter with the guards and other settlers it's their mm. only currency, right? Yeah. It was said that often women would sell their bodies in order to get more food for protection. Um, even the meager amounts of food that they did have, they had nothing to cook with. So often they would just mix the flour with river water 
And it wasn't wasn't long until things like dysentery and diseases would spread as well. Yeah, absolutely. God. Yep. First few days. So even if things weren't bad enough already, another 1,200 additional deportees would arrive later in May. It's not a huge island. They've got nothing. They've got flour. Yeah. If they're lucky enough to get flour, but that's it. And and that's the food that they were given. Mm -hmm. It was just like a, a handful of flour. That's it. Wow. Okay. So life was obviously pretty miserable and life was all about survival of the most cunning. People were freezing to death daily in the snow and rain. And for those able to start fires, some would often fall asleep too close and they'd burn to death as well. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. They literally, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Not a fun camping trip. No. So trying to give you some backstory and understanding of what, yeah, what pushed these what people pushed to get people to a point? To get yeah, to where absolutely. obviously we're going. So another question that I definitely asked myself, and you probably, I'm sure listeners are asking too, why didn't they try and escape? So some deportees did, they, they tried to make primitive rafts to try and escape, but most of the rafts would collapse and, and hundreds of corpses would wash up on the shore, on the shore below the island. Um, guards even hunted and killed other escapees if they were, like, as if they were hunting them for, like animals for sport and because of the lack of any transportation to the rest of the country except upstream to Tomsk and the harshness of life in the area any other escapees who did make it across the river minus 22 degrees by the way and evaded the guards from their hunting parties they were they were ultimately just presumed dead yeah so we're talking 800 kilometers on a raft built from sticks and you know stuff you find on the island Mm. you've had no food for weeks it's minus 22 degrees. I can't see that being a, you know, successful trip. No, exactly. So order on the island quickly broke down and developed into absolute chaos. The majority of them had no idea even how to work the land. So these people are not even trained or aware of how to be farmers. That's a, you know, hello. May have thought that would that was an important thing. Um, and the, like the sparsity of resources already, they led to gangs forming, obviously. And people yeah. were frequently murdered in fights over food and money. Even uh, gold tooth fillings and crowns were often looted to trade for cigarettes. Like people are at the yeah at the at the worst possible place, doing the most horrendous things, just trying to survive. Absolutely. And the guards weren't picnics either. So the guards established their own sort of reign of terror. They would extort the settlers. They would execute people for minor offences. Even the doctors, I have to say this, they did send doctors out there every now and again, but even the doctors sent to tend to the settlers once in a while, even with protection, began to fear for their lives. Yeah, I can't say that I would have loved to have gone there as as a doctor. I don't need that on my resume. So this is where things are going to get really dark. In less than a month... Due to the lack of proper food and the frequency of violent deaths, it didn't take long for survivors to resort to cannibalism. And reportedly, it became so widespread to the point that settlers eventually began murdering individuals for the sole purpose of consuming them. In early June, things had gotten so bad and out of control control that the Soviet authorities deemed the plan a failure and the settlement was to be dissolved. No fucking shit, Sherlock. Yeah. Yeah, pop that in your little report, for goodness sake. No good. It didn't really succeed, guys. Look, we sent them to some remote island in the middle of nowhere with a handful of flour to survive and to start farming for us and do all of these great things. It's a shock to me that it didn't work. 
so stupid and horrible for these people the cavalier attitude towards all of this right and yeah. i know we're here having a laugh and joking and stuff like that so it's just it's just so absurd it is almost laughable right yeah um, absolutely so it had, it only been a month right i'm saying early june that it was deemed a total failure and the and the thing needed to be dissolved so those who were those who survived had nothing and had been through literal hell on earth yet those able to work were shipped off to a different settlement and forced to work elsewhere. They didn't even learn from the mistake. Like they didn't even go, oh, maybe this shouldn't happen. They took the strongest and the people still able to and just went, well, we'll ship them somewhere else. Wow. Right? And try again. Yeah. <laughs> so by August, at least 4,000 people were reported dead or missing from the original six plus thousand. According to a Soviet document dated in August 20th, 1933, there were only 2,200 survivors out of the 6,700 prisoners who had been sent to Nazinsky. That's not a good percentage. I'm not a mathematician, but that's not good. You're not an economist? No, not yet. There's still time. Okay. Yeah. So how do we know all about this? Right. First of all, this is not like a, a thing that happened only on Nazinsky Island. There are definitely reports of other settlements and other horrible things happening. But this particular one was sort of thrust into the spotlight because our good old bud, Velichko, um, oh, he had, I him. Yeah, he collected a bunch of documentation and um, his report, like he, he was asked to do a report on this. His, his report was kept on file and distributed amongst uh, some of the very high level political leaders, including Stalin. Uh, but it was obviously a bit of an embarrassment and it was buried and deemed top secret and just hidden. But it was yeah. there. The thing is that it, it, it existed. It was just suppressed and forgotten. It wasn't until the Russian Historical and Civil Rights Society uh, called Memorial was contacted by a survivor in 1988 that a push to release these reports came to fruition. 1988, good year. I was born. There you go. So at least one good thing happened. <laughs> and you, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Someone who's equally as crazy as I am. Mm. But yeah, quite a story that a survivor, not until 1988, contacted mm. this amazing organization called Memorial, looked them up. Um, mm -hmm. And they got involved. Memorial, like, okay, well, something needs to be done about this. So one story that has been widely reported, and to me it makes this even more real because it's that of a local family who lived close by. So this was the story that was in Velichko's report. Um, by the way, the locals were completely unaware of the severity of the situation. It's such a remote part of the area. Like, they didn't even know that people were on this island. That's got a real vibe of, you know, uh, 1930s, 1940s. We had no idea what that camp was. Mm -hmm. It was just down the street from our house. We didn't know what was going on there. That's got a real, real vibe of another mustachioed dictator. Yes, <laughs> mustachioed, mm. like that. Mm. <laughs> now I want pistachios. What <laughs> Okay, so there's this one story, it's quite well known, um, and it came up in a lot of articles and things that I read, um, but this is of uh, someone called Belina. She was a resident of the village of Nazino, and she said in her own words, once a woman from the island of death was brought to our house, she was being taken to another camp. They took her into the back room of our house to spend the night and I saw that her calves had been cut off. <gasps> I asked and she said, they did that to me on the island of death. 
they cut them off and cooked them. So all the meat on her calves was cut away. Her legs were freezing because of this and she had them wrapped up with rags. Somehow she was still able to move on her own, but she looked like an old woman. And they say she really was only just over 40. Wow, that's horrifying. Mm -hmm. And that's from Belina's words, the resident, like we're reading. She saw that. <gasps> oh God, that like gives me goosebumps. And it also makes my calves hurt. Yeah. Um, far out. How would you survive that? Like, how do you? Mm. I wish that there was more for me to dig up on. How was she able to walk? How was yeah. she able to survive blood loss, weakness? She's already gone through hell on earth and then somehow she's, so I, you know, and there's no photos or anything. There's just these written testimonies that Velitskog yeah. captured. Um, oh God. Yeah. I would want to know, like, how can you walk? How do you, mm. what are your ankles attached to? It's like, horrible. What, yeah, far out. Oh, so Ooh. in the report, they also spoke to one of the criminals who had survived on the island. And in his own words, they asked if uh, they asked him if he ate human meat. And he said, no, that is not true. I only ate livers and hearts. When asked for details, you know, question mark, right? Yeah. When asked for yeah. details, he said it was very simple. Just, just like shashlik, we made skewers from willow branches, cut it into pieces, stuck it on the skewers and roasted it over the campfire. I picked those who were not quite living, but not quite dead. It was obvious that they were about to go that in a day or two, they'd give up. So it was easier for them that way. Now, quickly. God, but I can see that you are one foot in the grave. So can I please have your liver and your heart? I'm going to make a shazlik, pop it on the grill. Mm. We're going to have some uh, music, maybe some beers. No. It's just the casualness of it. But again, it's why at the start I wanted to be really careful about judging here, right? It's... Yeah. We've just heard about all these horrific conditions and where their, their human spirit was pushed to. Yeah. He's, you know, what he said in his own words, it sounds so disrespectful. It sounds horrible. He sounds like a monster saying what he's saying. But, and again, I'm not justifying it, but you have to go back to look at... It's why that backstory was so important. Look how far that they were pushed. And That's right. How, how are you going to survive? Yeah. What is that ultimate survival instinct? What do you need to do? But I also, it's fascinating that he still, despite the you know terrible things that have happened, had almost a sense of, of values. Mm. Oh, no, 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 I didn't eat human meat. Like I wouldn't eat like calves from a lady, but I was happy to have, you know, liver or heart or the same kinds of organs you would have from an, from an animal, mm. from a sheep or a cow or whatever, but still had that sense of value. That's so, it seems warped, but wow. Yeah. It just goes to show. Yeah. yeah. In his words, you can obviously hear him trying to justify. I picked people, we picked people that were about to die or yeah. anyway, look, I don't think either of us are in a position to properly judge or get, get into the frame of mind of where they are and why they did what they did. But, um, yeah, yeah. There's other reports, which are even more graphic. Um, uh, there was just a description of a woman who would, was tied to a tree and men cut off her breast, her calves and other body parts. 
you know and to yeah. me that's like a, that's a whole nother thing that is actual evil behavior that's not yeah anyway all right so our guy Velichko to wrap this up nice and neatly as best as you possibly can because it's horrible but our guy Velichko he actually went to the island and um and that's where this report sort of came from. And uh, he wrote, the grass on the island was head high, but locals who went there to gather berries returned after discovering corpses in the grass and stick shelters full of skeletons. So it's this is after the fact, obviously. He was yeah. sent out there to report on this. And I think, you know, once things came to light, even locals were able to sort of get an idea of what happened. But a lot is happening at the time in this in this part of the world. A lot of horrible things are happening in this time in the world and Communist Party, they don't want you to know anything. Everything has got to be good and great. So this was all suppressed. So today there is a memorial and a pilgrimage that takes place for survivors and locals who really want to make sure that what happened is never forgotten. Mm -hmm. Um, And saying that, sadly, this story is one of many horrifying events that occurred over the 20 years either side. Um, such as the Great Purge. So if you're interested, you can go read about that. But there are rough estimates that anywhere between three to seven million people died as a result of this famine and ensuing five-year plans. It really oh was God. just like such a dark time in in our human history. When I think of a five-year plan, you know, I'm sort of thinking, do I buy a house or should I buy a car? Am I going to have children? And they're basically ending the lives of millions of people. That was their five-year plan. Mm -hmm. Mm. I think that's what I've learned from this story is the cavalier and the brutal, not even trying to hide it. Like this is just what we're doing in the name of our great country or our great Soviet Russia, blah, blah, blah. It's just... Yeah, that's their, their sense of what they wanted to do. So that's the story of... Nazinski, or better known, Cannibal Island. Oh, okay, so now that we've heard that story, which absolutely included some pretty horrendous uh, details, Dom, what would you do to survive? What would be your... So you're in this position or you're in a similar position. What are you doing to survive this? What, what, what pops into your mind? What do you think you could do? Look, I'm not, not uh, specifically about cannibalism but just in general i'm a big fan of the idea of survivals like survival survivor the the tv show survival on anything i kind of am fascinated about how humans were able to live off the land back in the day and you know what would you do if you were on a remote island what would you do in the middle of the desert i'm personally very fascinated about those sorts of stories and they don't need to go super dark I fantasize about what I would do and I like reading up on what do you do to a snake bite or how do you get water in the desert? Like that stuff's cool. That's interesting. But I think if you have those conversations, you also got to think about, yeah, what do you do when you get to a point where there's no food or, or whatever? Yeah. I would love to say that I'm the t- type of person that's like, no, never, never going to ever desecrate someone else's human body. I'm never going to eat Blah, blah, like all that kind of stuff. I wish that I could be that hardcore and and blunt about saying no, but I don't know. I'm. I don't it's, know. it's not gonna. It's not my first choice. It's not my first hundred choices. It would probably be my last ever choice. So yep. I don't think I could ever kill a human just to eat. I don't think I would. I'd. I'd. I'd probably just let myself die before that. But yep. if someone had just died, I don't know. 
I don't know how crazy your your mind can get when you're that hungry. Yeah. I, I think I've got an idea because, you know, obviously doing the 1200 cal program with L&E, um, <laughs> I have got a real vibe of how hungry you can get. You know, I have a goldfish. I was eyeing him off the other day. Mm. I was like, mm, you'd fry up nice. I might uh, think about that. Um, but then I realized that I'm very privileged to live in a place where I can go to a supermarket mm. and just buy what I want. I feel like we need to have a survival weekend up in Ballarat up at the property. Mm-hmm. We need to try and build a shelter, build a fire, you know, using really basic stuff. I would love that. And that's actually a really great place to do it because then we can just go inside when we get cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. but, <laughs> I think I agree. You don't know where your mind would go, you know, to, to sink to those depths. And I, I think as well, in the sense of Cannibal Island, it's fascinating because a lot of people probably went off what other people were doing mm-hmm. or saying, you know, it was that kind of peer group environment where you're like, oh, Jimmy is, you know, eating this and there's some left and they've just offered me food. It's you're probably not inclined to turn it down mm-hmm. being that hungry and, you know, that close to death. But if you are on your own, I feel like it would be a different scenario. I'm, I'm not sure. I just... um yeah, I would I would be inclined to think that I would try to survive however I could, but it's very difficult to put yourself into that, you know, that mind frame. Cuz I think sitting here in my in my study, I'd happily skydive. That's no problems at all. Yeah, I'll skydive. But then when I was in the plane or if I was driving to the skydiving place it became a reality, I would chicken out for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, you don't know like it's easy enough to, for us to sit here and say what we might do. But unless you're in that situation, my goodness, I I really don't know. I think I can safely say I would not tie someone up to a tree and do what was done to that woman or probably yeah. many women. I I wouldn't I don't think I would go around hunting people. I I think you know, we're talking about so many different things here in this story. Yeah. It's not just as simple as people got desperate. They needed to eat. Like there, there was of some very obvious black and white, horrible behavior and choices made by people to take advantage yeah. of a situation. And I, it is Lord of the Flies-ish type of horrible. And yeah. even when you were talking about the train trip, you know, you think of Snowpiercer and the you know the jelly the 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 fuel that they had to eat and Mm. having to share that and having the classes in the train carriages and and then you think of um you know handing out food to people immediately what popped into my mind was was squid game yep and you know the fact that that person hasn't eaten and it turns into an all-out kind of you know brawl uh so there's a lot of those pop culture references that you can kind of draw into that kind of give you an idea of what's going on but again you know it's a very outsider's perspective of what these poor people but yeah I I would agree I can't say that I would go down the criminal path of you know willfully hurting people um I'd be very much inclined to to just survive yeah and it's why I love this topic and I'm really looking forward to in future episodes coming back to this topic on survival not necessarily cannibalism um but you know, maybe again, I might, I, I think it would be really interesting to do another one of my favorite stories that just happens to be about cannibalism, but it's a survival story is the story of the rugby team, um, and the movie alive. And, mm. you know, it's a, it's a, a totally different situation, but it's the same sort of test of human spirit of what, what would you, what would you do? So maybe if our listeners are lucky and we are around for long enough, I will, 
maybe not next time, but <laughs> give us a few episodes to <laughs> yeah. pardon the pun to digest pardon this. <laughs> <laughs> great minds think alike yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't, haven't made enough poo jokes this episode so we have to make uh, cannibal jokes fair enough so <laughs> well i mean i think that um yeah survival hopelessness that kind of ties into some of people's deepest fears uh but also links us to next week's episode I'm going to be talking about space, uh, which, you know, as space, the final frontier, um, <laughs> frightens me. I have no interest in going to space. What about you, Dom? Do you want to go to space? Uh, put me on a Elon Musk rocket right now and <laughs> send me to Mars. Get me on the Bezos mobile. I'm off. Pew! Um, I've got no interest. So I'm going to have a chat about why I don't have an interest um, in that. Yeah stick around for that episode if that's of interest to you i'm sure that it will be because you know we're having a good time so come and have a listen to us and have a good time uh next week as well i mean that was quite a story dominic i um yeah i'm gonna have to take some time to uh to think about that one <laughs> and prepare for our next week's episode <laughs> well at least it's not dinner time you don't have to go cook dinner now so that's so true it's almost lunch maybe i will have that goldfish that's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.